Well, good morning, church. Are you guys excited to be here today as I am? Come on. Woo! I can't even begin to explain to you guys how excited I am to be back in the pulpit after having had three weeks off. I want to give a huge shout out and just say thank you to the three incredible ladies that brought some powerful words during our Wonder Women series. Yeah, can we give it up for them? I know many of you were blessed by that, and if you missed any of those messages, I could not encourage you more to jump onto our website, listen to the podcast, or watch it on our YouTube channel. If you're tuning in online or if you're new here with us, my name is Pete. I serve as the lead pastor here. I just want to say how excited I am to have you joining us today. And you picked a great Sunday to come, especially if it is your first time, because as you just heard, we're starting a brand new series today uh, called When Pigs Fly. Now... um, If you're newer to church or newer to faith, maybe what's a series all about? What we like to do here at our church is take three or four weeks, sometimes even five or six weeks at a time, to zero in and focus on one topic that is either a struggle we can all relate to or a question we all have and kind of dig into God's word to see what it has to say. And one of my favorite things to do as a communicator and as a pastor is to help the Bible come alive to people, to help them understand that it's just as practical and just as relevant to our lives today as it was when it was written. Now, I want to start with just a kind of a rhetorical question, but by a show of hands, if you could participate so I know you're paying attention. How many of you guys have heard of the saying, when pigs fly? I think most of us probably have. Okay, good. I think we all know that it's really a sarcastic phrase that people use when they're talking about things that are likely never going to happen. Like, for example, especially in our town, people might ask, do you think the Bills are ever going to win the Super Bowl? (laughs) When pigs fly, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever said that before. I'm, I'm getting some heckles. Don't throw stones. That's all right. <laughs> Maybe you go into work tomorrow and you tell your boss, I would love to have two months paid vacation. Can you approve that for me? He'd look at you like, yeah, when pigs fly, get back to work. What are you crazy? You know, if my kids ever come up to you and ask you if, if you think that I'll ever let them get another animal, you could respond with when pigs fly. In the last four months alone, my kids have asked for a baby goat, a baby bunny, a kitten, and a dog. Thank you, Rich and Alice Clarkson. (laughs) For those of you that don't know who I'm talking about, Rich Clarkson is our guest services director, and he and his wife have a farm out in Colden with a whole bunch of animals on it, and every time my wife takes the kids out there, they want to come home with a new animal. And I'm like, guys, it's not going to happen. When pigs fly, maybe, but just, like, stop asking. But it's about things that are likely never going to happen. And I think when it comes to miracles, many of us may, whether consciously or not, have the same type of an attitude. Like, God used to do miracles, but he, don't, he doesn't do them anymore today. Or if he does, he, he would never do them in my life. A lot of people have a when pigs fly attitude when it comes to the belief that God can and would do something miraculous in their lives. So I think that word miracle is losing its power today. We use it in the wrong way a lot of times. We use, we we describe things that are not miracles as miracles. Like when we go to the grocery store and we pull into Wegmans, which is one of my favorite stores, but I hate it because it's always busy and it's just insane. And I hate being around crowds of people. And so you're driving up and down, you know, the parking lot, trying to find a good parking spot when all of a sudden, miraculously, it seems the, the spot closest to the front door opens up and you pull in and you're like, it's a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, I hate to break it to you, that's not a miracle. That is just a coincidence of a lady leaving Wegmans at the exact same time that you're pulling in, okay? 
But what is a miracle? I want us all to have kind of a working understanding in its most basic definition. A miracle is when God in heaven intervenes in the affairs on earth. When an all-powerful God supernaturally intervenes in our lives today. So if you were to drive onto Wegmans parking lot and it'd be full and all of a sudden the cars part in front of you, that would be a miracle. All right, but we're gonna look at miracles in this series. And I wanna start by celebrating the fact that this year alone, we have gotten to witness 94 miracles of life change as people have been made new and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And that is a miracle. May we never dismiss or get used to the fact that miracles are happening in our church on an almost weekly basis as Jesus transfers them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and they are made new by the grace and power of our Lord. But aside from miracles of life change, which they are miracles, every number is a name, every name has a story, every single story matters to God. Aside from miracles of life change, the Bible talks about four different types of miracles. When you read the scriptures and you see that a miracle took place, it falls into one of four different categories of miracles that we're going to talk about throughout the course of the series. And starting next week, we're going to talk about miracles of healing. And if you or anyone in your life needs healing in their body, I could not implore you more to be here next Sunday. We're gonna have a time of ministry available at the end of service to, to pray for people who are, who are needing healing in their bodies. And I believe God wants to do some powerful things in our midst. The week after that, we're gonna be talking about miracles of protection. And then we're gonna wrap the series up by talking about miracles of provision, where people have a financial need and God supernaturally intervenes to provide for that need. But today we're gonna to talk about what is perhaps the least talked about type of miracle. Some would say it's, it's dark, it's creepy, it's spooky. We're gonna talk about miracles of deliverance. Miracles of deliverance. When God does miracles over the powers and forces of darkness, demonic influences. And some of you maybe are starting to squirm in your seat a little bit and saying, well, I didn't think we were gonna talk about this today. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I don't even know if I believe in the devil or demons or you know, spooky hocus pocus type stuff. But what I wanna understand, like one of the, my favorite quotes, I don't know who said it, but it was said that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That one of the lies that our spiritual enemy, the devil, tries to tell us and tries to get us to believe is that he is not a force that is constantly fighting against us and fighting against the kingdom of God. And so I want to look at scripture today to kind of build a foundation for us as we dive into this topic today. The apostle Paul wrote in a letter to a church that he planted in a city called Ephesus. The letter is called Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, he writes this to them. And this is what I want us all to understand as well, that we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, which means your mean boss, your annoying mother-in-law, they are not your enemies. The person who's arguing with you all the time on Facebook is not your real enemy. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. You guys, what you see around you is not all that there is. There is an unseen world around us in which there are evil forces at work. He goes on to say, we're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You guys, we are fighting against demonic forces of darkness in the unseen world. 
Now, maybe you're asking, what exactly is a demon? Because a lot of people, you know, think that a demon is, you know, a spirit of someone who has passed on before us. Like, you know, my mean Uncle Joe, he was a hellraiser, and now he's dead, so he must be a demon. No, demons are not people who have died that were mean and nasty and all that stuff. If you want to look on your own time to do a little bit of research to understand where scholars look to to gain an understanding of who the devil is and where demons come from, there are three primary places in scripture that I want to briefly just mention to you so you can look it up if you want to do a little bit of research. Two places in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, where it talks about Lucifer, who scholars believe was a high-ranking and beautiful angel, actually, a being created by God to worship God, but this angel with free will allowed pride to enter his heart. And in Isaiah 14, you can read the five I will statements that he makes. To summarize, he basically says, I will ascend. I will be like the most high. I will be like God. And God says, well, there is no one like me. And so he cast him out of heaven Lucifer became Satan. And in Revelation chapter 12, you can read that he convinced and took one third of the angels in heaven to join his cause and fight against the kingdom of our God. So these fallen angels, if you will, became demons. What angels are to God, demons are to the devil. There's one devil and many demons. These demons do the work of our spiritual enemy, the devil, in dark realms trying to pull people away from the kingdom of God because the devil hates God. He wants to be like God. God cast him out. He cannot defeat God. And so he aims all of his attacks, all of his anger, all of his hatred, all of his vitriol at the object of God's affection, which is you and me. The enemy wants to destroy you. And the biggest mistake that we make as, as people and as Christians when it comes to demons, there are two that I see depending on the type of church culture you grew up in. Some people overemphasize demons. They look for a demon under every rock. They blame the devil and demons for every problem that they face. I'm broke because the devil stole all my money. Well, no, you're broke because you bought three outfits, a purse, the latest iPhone, an expensive car, and you go on vacations that you can't afford. That's why you're broke. The devil didn't make you do that. Contrary to what you might think, the devil is not the cause for all of the problems that you face in this world. Regardless of what you might think, the devil didn't make you eat the whole pizza or that whole gallon of ice cream. That's your own fault. So some people overemphasize demons, but on the flip side, the other problem I see or mistake that we make is that we underemphasize demons, demonic influence. While not every problem you face as a result of demonic influence, I think there are more problems than most realize that are the cause of demonic influence. So some people overemphasize, other people underemphasize demonic influence. So what do demons do? I wanna show you three things in scripture that we can understand are tactics and strategies that the enemy uses through demons to affect our lives. And the first thing that demons do is they tempt you to sin. Because sin separates us from God and he does not want us walking closely with our heavenly father, demons will try to tempt you to break God's laws, which brings separation between you and God. Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. And in this context, he's speaking about opponents of the gospel. 
And he writes, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. The devil sets traps for you so he can take you captive to do his will. Demons will set traps for you with the goal of taking you captive and holding you prisoner. He tempts you with thoughts of, go ahead, you deserve it. Watch that video, touch it, drink it, smoke it, shoot it. Touch it, take it, you deserve to have some fun. And he minimizes sin on the front end. He promises all of this pleasure in the beginning. Saying, you deserve it, go ahead, nobody's gonna find out. It's nobody's business how you live your life anyway. Who are they to tell you what to do? You deserve to have some fun. And then once you succumb or give in to the temptation, even though he minimizes it in the beginning, he then maximizes the penalty on the back end. He'll whisper to you, look what you've done. God can never love you. You've ruined your life. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. It always takes you further than you ever thought you would go. They tempt you to sin because they want you to be a prisoner to keep you from serving God. Which brings me to the second thing that demons do, which is they distract you from God's will. If they can't tempt you to sin, they'll try to distract you from doing God's will, from walking in God's ways. What is God's will? His will is that we would partner with him to be a demonstration of his love and his message to the world around us. We say it this way at our church. Our mission is to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. That's the parting message that Jesus gave the church. That's what his will is, is that we would partner with him to help people know and follow Jesus. And if he can't tempt us to sin, he'll use demons to try to distract us from doing God's will. In his first letter to Timothy, the apostle Paul writes this, the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons, things taught by demons. You might know someone like this. There's a chance that we may have some people in this room that this describes, where you once walked closely with Jesus or you knew someone that once had a relationship with God, but then walked away from the faith. What happened? Well, there are certainly many reasons why people leave the faith but we have to consider the possibility that one of the reasons is that there are deceiving spirits that wanna lead people away from the purity of the gospel and the understanding that it's only by, G by faith in Jesus Christ can we abide with the Father and experience abundant life. They lead us away from that into all sorts of false doctrines. There's a common belief held in our culture today, which I believe is born of demonic influence that basically says you get to choose your own way. You decide what is true. There is no absolute truth. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in it and you're not hurting anybody else. It doesn't matter. You can pick and choose and create your own belief system. You can take a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of New Age. You can even take some elements of Christianity, blend it all together, and you've got your own way. It doesn't matter what you believe. The devil will convince you that the Bible's not true, that you don't need church, Deceiving spirits, things taught by demons, leading you away, distracting you from doing God's will. So they tempt you to sin. 
They distract you from doing God's will. And the third thing that demons do is they inflict suffering. They inflict suffering. In Matthew's gospel, there's a tragically sad story of a father who has a son that is being tormented and physically afflicted by a demonic presence. And the father in desperation in Matthew chapter 17 cries out to Jesus and he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water because demons hate us. They want to destroy us. And so they'll try to get us to hurt ourselves. He's suffering. And Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And look at what Jesus says. He rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. There's a difference between demonic possession and demonic oppression. Possession is when a demonic spirit inhabits our soul or our spirit. And I don't believe that Christians can ever be possessed because light cannot cohabitate with darkness. Where the spirit of God dwells, the enemy cannot dwell. But there's demonic oppression as well where the enemy can come against and attack you in different ways. But in this case, this boy was possessed by a demonic spirit that was causing him to suffer greatly. And at his word, Jesus miraculously delivered the boy from this demonic spirit that was inflicting suffering on him. Now, I want to give a quick disclaimer here because I don't want anyone leaving here today believing that we think that all seizures are caused by demonic influence. That is not what I'm saying at all. There are a lot of physical ailments that have physiological and natural reasons that cause seizures. I am not saying that seizures are caused by the devil. But scripture is clear that there are spirits of infirmity that can cause and, and, and bring physical suffering and inflict suffering on people. That's what demons want to do, inflict suffering. Why did Jesus come? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He wants us to have abundant life. Jesus said, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. He said, I didn't come for those who are healthy. I came for those who are sick. I didn't come for those who proclaim to be righteous. I came for those who are sinners. Jesus said, I have come to set the captives free. We just read a verse a moment ago that says the devil wants to set traps to hold people captive so that they do his will. And Jesus said, I have come to set those captives free. So that's why Jesus came. But what is the devil's mission? What is, what is our spiritual adversary's goal? John 10, 10 is very clear that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he sends his demons out to accomplish this by influencing us to think thoughts of depression, suicidal thoughts, feelings of desperation. You guys, you need to understand that demons want to destroy your marriage. They want to ruin your testimony. They want to wreck your finances. They want to steal your joy. They want to obliterate your health. They want to crush your children. This is not a game. He's not a little red guy with horns and a pitchfork and a little tail that we see pictured in cartoons or that some of us like to dress our kids up as on Halloween. This is the forces of darkness that are fighting against the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light and want to destroy us. They want to destroy anything that matters to the heart of God and nothing matters to God's heart more than you and me. I know this isn't a topic we talk about a lot in church. 
Maybe we should talk about it more so that we were more aware of the enemy's schemes and the way he works in our lives. But what do we as people of faith do once we realize, hey, this isn't a playground. I was born into a battle zone and I was made for battle. What do we do once we recognize that we're engaged in a spiritual battle? And I wanna speak primarily to those of you who are here today and identify as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have been made new, if you have been transformed by the power of Jesus, if his spirit dwells in you, then you need to understand today that if you are in Christ, then you have miraculous authority over darkness in the name of Jesus. Some of you need to get excited about that. That's good news because you have miraculous authority over darkness in the name of Jesus. We're not fighting with our own power. We're fighting with Christ's power. And for too long, I feel like we've had too many Christians living defeated lives, operating from a defensive posture, just trying to survive the onslaught and the attack of the enemy. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates are a defensive measure, guys. What he was saying when he said, I will build my church, he didn't say I would build my building. A church is an ecclesia, it's a group of people. He was saying, I will build a group of people who advance my kingdom and the powers of darkness will not be able to stand up against them. They will overpower the kingdom of darkness. It's time we go on the offensive. And stop being so defensive and reactionary to the schemes of our enemy. We have authority over darkness in Jesus' name. You might say, well, how do you know that? Well, because he gave it to us. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 10, when he called his disciples to himself, he gave them authority. They didn't have it in and of themselves. He had to give it to them. He gave them authority. And as disciples and followers of Jesus, he gives them, us, the same authority. As we believed on Jesus through their testimony, he gave them authority to do what? To drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus gave them, gave us authority to use his power. Now, we have to understand that there's a difference between authority and power. I'm going to give you an illustration that will hopefully help you understand the difference. Pretend for a second that I am a police officer. If I go out into the street or out into the highway and I try to stop an 18-wheeler from coming, do I have the power to stop that 18-wheeler from coming? No, I don't. That 18-wheeler has the power to turn me into a splat on the pavement. But what I do have because of the badge that I wear is the authority to request the driver of that 18-wheeler to stop. And if he doesn't obey the authority, he'll have to answer to a higher power. I may not have the power in and of myself to defeat darkness, but I have access, I have authority to use the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus that has conquered death, hell, and the grave, that has all power over all darkness, to use the name of Jesus, to use his authority to defeat darkness. You have authority over darkness in the name of Jesus. Which I know some of this might be creepy and spooky and some of this is just hard to even remember when we're just trying to make it through the day we're just trying to get through the week right I got bills to pay I got dishes to do I gotta mow the lawn and I've got I got pressures at work and I'm trying not to kill my kids because they're driving me crazy we're just we're just trying to trying to make it through the day 
And in the midst of all of the responsibilities that are weighing on us day in and day out, I think sometimes we forget or we fail to realize the spiritual opposition and the battle that's waging around us. We forget and fail to realize that there are forces of darkness that are trying to bring division between you and your spouse. There are forces of darkness that are trying to destroy your children and influence them to to cut or think suicidal thoughts. There are forces of darkness that are trying to tempt me to give in to temptation that I would ruin my witness and make me ineffective for Christ. There are forces of darkness that want to steal and kill and destroy. Forces of darkness that want you to hurt yourself. There are forces of darkness that want you dependent on a chemical substance or want you dependent on looking at lustful images on a computer screen just to function. There are forces of darkness that want to tempt you to sin, distract you from doing God's will, and inflict suffering on you and your loved ones. So what do we do? I want to give you two thoughts that will lead to some practical application. If you know that these are the tactics and ploys of the enemy, what are we to do? Well, number one, I want to encourage you not to assume that every problem you face is a result of demonic influence. Not every problem that's happening in your life is the devil's fault. But on the flip side, I also don't want you to assume that any problem isn't the result of demonic influence. Don't assume every problem is, but don't assume any problem isn't. And if I could just insert here and just suggest to you guys that don't give the devil a foothold in your life either. See, as as Christians in whom the spirit of God dwells, the devil has no legal access or claim to you. However, a lot of times I think out of ignorance, we will partake of things or participate in things that opens the door and gives the devil legal right to attack you and mess with you and your family. So as your pastor, if I could just implore you to stop messing around with Ouija boards, psychics, fortune tellers, that is strictly forbidden in scripture for a reason, because God is trying to protect you from the forces of darkness that give the, the devil legal claim and legal access to your life. I would suggest too that you stop watching horror movies I know some people find that source of entertainment fun and that's just what they grew up doing. But listen, horror movies simply glorify the work of the devil. They want you to live in a place of fear. And and Jesus said that the, the eye is the lamp of the body and we can let light into our soul. It's a gateway and what comes into our spirit or we can let darkness come in. And he says, if darkness is what comes in, how great is that darkness? Don't poison your soul by watching things that glorify the works of darkness. That's why Paul told, he said, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are praiseworthy, think on these things. Watching horror movies isn't going to help you focus on the goodness and the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the love of our great heavenly father. One other thing that I would just suggest really quickly that you let go of that I think sometimes the devil is able to get into our lives is when we hold on to unforgiveness. 
when we feel justified in holding on to unforgiveness, which turns into a root of bitterness that poisons our soul, saying that God's grace isn't enough to cover that offense, gives the devil access into our lives. But don't assume every problem is a result of demonic influence and don't assume any problem isn't. What I wanna suggest that you do is anytime you're facing a problem, anytime you're engaged in any kind of a battle, I want you to do two things. The first is do what's natural. Do what's wise, do what's practical and the natural. And at the same time, pray to a supernatural God that he would intervene with his miraculous power. Do what's natural and engage in supernatural spiritual warfare. For example, if you're struggling with or have been diagnosed with a chronic or serious illness, you do what's natural and you go to a doctor. You see a specialist. You do everything you can to see that that sickness is healed. But at the same time, with every ounce of faith you have, you cry out to God that he would intervene with miraculous power and heal you from that disease because he heals all of our diseases. By his stripes, we are healed. You do what's natural and you engage in supernatural spiritual warfare. You can apply this to every battle. If you're battling anxiety, God doesn't want you trapped and bound up, locked up in anxiety. Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and lives. So if you're battling anxiety, do what's natural and go see a doctor but also cry out to God that he would deliver you from that, that you would experience his peace. If you have emotional suffering, if you've been through trauma or if you were abused as a child and you've not been able to get over the emotional suffering of that, do what's natural and go to see a counselor. I'm a huge proponent of people going to counseling, especially Christian counseling, to have other people help them walk through the process of letting go of that and finding healing and wholeness. But at the same time, you're going to a counselor, you cry out to God and ask him to deliver you from any demonic force or any spirit that is trying to keep you in captivity, keep you in bondage to that pain and that suffering. If you've got a rebellious teenager, do what's natural, all right? Take their phone away. I promise you they will live. Watch how quickly they change their behavior. Monitor their friends, do what's wise. But at the same time, pray for divine protection against every demonic assignment that is constantly and daily bombarding your children. Do what's natural and pray for supernatural. If you've got a loved one battling alcohol addiction, 12-step program all day long, AA, do what's natural. And at the same time, pray that God would supernaturally deliver them from the powers of darkness that want to keep them bound and dependent on a substance that robs them from the abundant joy and the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give us. Do what's natural and fight the supernatural forces of darkness by praying to the name that is above every name and using the authority that he's given you in Jesus Christ. In my own life, Kelly and I have tried to walk this out. I've shared with you our you know, fertility struggles and when we were first married and we wanted to start a family and we were told by doctors that we would never have children, we did what was natural and we exhausted all possible means by which we could get pregnant. And at the same time, we were praying to the God who is the author of life to give us children because we know we're praying in his will. Children are a gift from the Lord. 
And so if he wanted to use a doctor or if he wanted to supernaturally do a miracle and give us children, either way, we were going to give the credit to him. We did what was natural and we prayed in the supernatural. And even today, 10 years later, we're still wanting to grow our family and we're doing what's natural, taking supplements that are supposed to help us make, make us more fertile. I don't know. I hope it works. But at the same time, we're doing everything we can. We're, we're having fun practicing, guys. I just made her face turn red. It was awesome. And at the same time, we are praying that God would supernaturally do a miracle and allow us to conceive a child. A couple years ago, my mom's husband, Jimmy, was diagnosed with kidney cancer. He did what was natural, went to a doctor, got operated on to remove the tumor, which was a large tumor. And at the same time as a family, we gathered around and prayed that God would deliver him and heal him from that disease because by his stripes, we are healed. There is no disease that our God cannot cure. So do what's natural and fight in the supernatural. You guys, when Jesus died on the cross, the enemy thought he had won. But when he walked out of that tomb three days later, he defeated darkness once and for all. You guys, the spirit of Christ lives inside of you. Therefore, you have authority over darkness in the name of Jesus. And we've got to understand, guys, that darkness is not just the opposite of light. People think it's this, you know, opposing forces. Darkness is not the opposite of light. Darkness is the absence of light. Who is Jesus? Jesus described himself as the light of the world. And if Christ lives in you, the light of Christ dwells inside of you. John wrote in John 1.5 that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Anytime there's darkness in an atmosphere, in an environment, you sense darkness. When you walk in, guess what? Light walks in. And darkness can never extinguish the light. The presence of Christ in you dispels the darkness. He has to flee. So we got to start using the authority that he's given us. Speak it out loud. Declare it. You say, I take authority over this darkness in the name of Jesus. I bind and rebuke every demonic assignment that is trying to lead my children astray. I rebuke every demonic force of darkness that is trying to attack and destroy my marriage. Use the authority that he's given you. Declare it out loud. Speak the truth of God's word and use the authority that you have to defeat darkness. Because as Paul said, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of all that, put on every piece of God's armor. Don't you dare try to go into battle against the enemy without having protected yourself with the armor that God has given you, the helmet of salvation the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and shoes fit with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will not be destroyed. After the battle, you will be standing firm. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
Christians, listen to me. We need to understand and grab a hold of the truth that in the spiritual realm, positionally, Paul says, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Therefore, the devil is under your feet. He has no authority in your life. So therefore, you are not fighting for victory when you're engaged in battle with forces of darkness. You're not fighting for victory because you are seated with him in heavenly places. You are fighting from a place of victory. The battle belongs to the Lord and you just need to be confident in the victory that is already yours. You have miraculous authority over darkness in the mighty name of Jesus. So God, I pray for your people this morning, God, that you would help us to see and understand the victory that we have in Christ. Lord, would you give us the wisdom to do what is natural when we're engaged in a problem or fighting a battle? But would you also build our faith to believe, God, that you are able to intervene in our lives. Lord, I just, I pray for freedom today. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just want to speak and declare freedom and deliverance over every demonic assignment, every force of darkness. God, I pray that right now, as your people are are leaning in and open to you doing a miracle in their lives, God, would you set people free from pornography? Would you deliver people from nicotine and from substance abuse, from alcohol, from drugs? Lord, for students who are cutting themselves because they don't feel like they're worthy, God, would you speak truth to them and help them to see themselves as princes and princesses of the Most High God, mighty warriors who've been given an assignment to take your kingdom of light into the darkness of their school so that their students and their friends and their classmates would know that they have, that you have a plan for their lives too. God, pray for deliverance, that you would set your people free for those who've been oppressed by the enemy with depression and anxiety, God, would you supernaturally set them free to experience the peace that passes understanding? I desperately wanna be a church, God, who is able to celebrate and witness the miraculous power of our God. Because when I read the scriptures and I see in the book of Acts after the church began, that everywhere the apostles went, they laid hands on people who were healed. Signs and wonders followed those that believed. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. And though those miracles happened so that those who didn't believe would look in and see that there was no other explanation except that you are alive and that you are real. God, may miracles happen in our midst, not just for our benefit, but Lord, so that those in our lives who don't know you would look in and say, I want what you've got. It can't be explained. Your God must be real. Would you set your people free? With all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want to ever pass up the opportunity to ask if there's anybody here who came in today with questions about whether or not God is real, and maybe you've blamed God for some of the things that have happened in your life that have caused you pain. But this morning, you know that God is drawing you, and you're realizing that it's not God that caused that. It's your spiritual enemy, the devil, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants you to blame God. 
But this morning, you know that God sent his son Jesus to defeat the powers of darkness, to welcome you into his family, to forgive you of all your sin, to allow you to experience abundant life, to have purpose and hope. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never accepted his free gift of forgiveness and invited his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you, then today can be that day where that changes, where you transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, where you will be made new, not a better version of you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And if you wanna be made new this morning with all heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just lift your hand this morning so that I can pray with you and for you and we can welcome you into God's family. Is there anybody here this morning that's ready to say, yes, Lord, I wanna follow you. I want your spirit to come and live inside of me so that I don't have to fight the forces of darkness on my own. One last time, is there anybody here that wants to be welcomed into God's family? I see that hand over here in the front. Church, will you join those who are receiving Christ this morning? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to defeat and destroy the works of the evil one. I accept your free gift of forgiveness and I offer you my life. It's not my own. I give it to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might follow you and serve you and have the faith to use the authority that I have in you to live victoriously. Change me, make me new. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. All God's people said. Amen. Church, can we make some noise? Give God some worship for his family growing today.